0: This morning I'd like to complete our little brief overview of the book of Daniel. And we're doing this because it gives us some background and foundation for our main study, the Olivet Discourse. And even though we're only in verse 4 in the Olivet Discourse, the semester's about over, so sorry. (laughs) Oh well. But we'll uh, have a do-over or try again next semester. Make sense? So next semester will be primarily the Olivet Discourse. So in the book of Daniel, we've been last time one of the things that I stressed was God's sovereignty, and we're going to see that in that God is sovereign. I mentioned that He's sovereign over all things. And I had to correct Mary Lee in her prayer last time. Uh, she was diminishing the sovereignty of God. Only over atoms, remember? We were talking that he's sovereign over even electrons. And even more accurately, he's sovereign on all subatomic particles, even those that we don't even know and cannot even identify. And he's certainly sovereign over uh, all things. One of the things that the Bible claims is that it is inspired, obviously, and inerrant. Every one of you believes that. One of the main proofs of that, or evidences of the sovereignty and inerrancy of Scripture, is that God is sovereign over all future events as well. In other words, things that man cannot foresee, God has a bigger plan and God has sovereignty over even events that have not transpired as yet. In fact, he is orchestrating things such that he will accomplish everything that he has promised. And one of the clearest prophecies, and one of the most spectacular prophecies of all of Scripture, is one that uh, we want to focus in on in the overview of Daniel. So hopefully we'll get to chapter 9. i actually got too many slides here, so hopefully we'll get there. But prophecy... Only God knows the future, and only he can predict it. Now, men attempt to do that by looking at trends and that sort of thing, but God is the one that actually orchestrates it. So, stress last time was the sovereignty of God. This morning, we want to look at a quick outline, and I'm going to go over some of these passages rather quickly, and if you can read them quickly, we'll get through two passages that I want to focus in on. One that gives us a future from Daniel's perspective, mainly past from our perspective, but a future prophecy concerning world history. And real world history, I stress over and over, is really what God has revealed in his word concerning major events. And these events were future. One of them was present during Daniel's time. But he looks into the future. This is one of the reasons why critics have a hard time with the book of Daniel is because his prophecies are so precise and so accurate. So last week we started by looking at the training of the remnant. Kind of gives us an introduction to the whole book. We looked at the early verses. We saw that uh, the choice youth of the nation of Israel were taken into captivity. Into Babylon, this is at the end of Israel's history, Old Testament history. But because of which covenants? Mainly the first covenant, which one? Abrahamic covenant, which gives us basically the parameters of all the rest of world history. Ultimately, world history is going to end with Israel blessing all of the nations. Now, all of that has not been fulfilled. Because of the Abrahamic covenant, also because of which covenant related to the Abrahamic? In fact, a sub-covenant, you might say, of Abrahamic? Mosaic. Not so much Mosaic, although in the Mosaic there are some promises that look way ahead, like Deuteronomy. Palestinian. Palestinian, very good. The Palestinian covenant deals with the land. Israel ultimately occupies all of the land that God promises all the way back into Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. They have never fully occupied all the land. That's yet future. Thirdly, there's another covenant that guarantees Israel's not only presence in the land, but Israel's prominence ultimately and the end of world history. Davidic, and you're doing them in order, very good. The Davidic covenant would be the next one that promises that Messiah, and actually a king of Israel, who will be Messiah, will reign over a kingdom. Daniel predicts that kingdom. We're going to look at that passage. So the choice youths are within the nation of Israel, they're in Babylon, everything has been lost. In fact, it is very, very dark, time in Israel's history. It's during the exile that Daniel writes, but it's during that time that God makes some of the most spectacular promises to assure the children of Israel that their future is not ended, even though they've lost everything in that period of time. Then the last, just to complete our covenants, there's another covenant that promises certain things. Remember the the other one? New Covenant, and we kind of enter into the back door of that one. We're not parties to it, but we benefit from it because we're related to Israel's king. But the New Covenant is with Israel, and Israel and the New Covenant ensures their restoration and their blessing during the last days of world history. So these choice youths find themselves in Babylon... And I gave you this map last time. This is a little review here. Location, Babylon, reconstructed city that Saddam Hussein reconstructed from the archaeology there. They did a lot of archaeology. This gives you kind of a museum that they put up there. I don't know the status of it right now with ISIS and all that's going on, but that was very prominent back then. So we have the exiles, exile of the choice youths. This is the first wave of Jewish exiles. And we have the kind of the setting of it that shows the character of Daniel, his spirituality, his courage, in fact, his integrity, his desire to remain faithful to God. He proposes an alternative to what the empire is demanding of these youths. Remember, they're retraining them and basically reprogramming them, if you will, indoctrinating them. Daniel, in wisdom, offers an alternative to their plan, particularly dietary. And that proposal, uh, we'll skip down to verse 17. So somebody be prepared to read 117. And then, all right, Linda's got that one. We have the results of that proposal. As a result of it, the youths, are demonstrated to be healthier than all the others. And we're just beginning to see the beginnings of Daniel's rise to prominence. And in fact, Daniel is just a, a a young man. He could have been as young as 15 years old. Perhaps 16, 17, we don't know. But somewhere around that, he's a teenager, no more than 19. The results of the proposal is basically he... Demonstrates himself not only wisdom but uh, shows that his plan is better than the secular empire plan. And then in verse 17, we have the examination, and you're gonna want to read verse 17 there, Linda? Okay, so kind of a summary here just to kind of introduce us, because the rest of the book is going to deal with these visions and dreams. Daniel receives some of them, but in chapter 2, the king of the ruling empire of the whole world at that time is going to receive a dream that troubles him, and he's going to seek for interpretation. And we'll see from that passage that no one is able to interpret it. This is just a chronology. Last time I mentioned that the book of Daniel, these visions are not necessarily in chronological order. We do have some dating of some of them, and from the dating we might conclude where the other ones lie. So some of these are speculative, but I'm going to put them on this timeline so you'll see this chart over and over. Kind of the main elements of it, we have the first captives at 6.05. Obviously these are all B.C. dates, This is when the first captives go, and the exile actually begins there. There's kind of two elements of the exile. Part of it is the people are exiled, beginning in 605, but also there's also the destruction of the temple, which also is part of it. And the other, on the the blue boxes there, the temple is destroyed there in 586-87. 586-87. Destruction of the city, destruction of the temple. So you can start the dating from there. But the 70-year captivity, 605-536, to 536, and the other date would be there. This temple is restored, so there is a temple desolation that is also 70 years in that. And I'm going to show you kind of a blow-up of the Babylonian period in there in another slide. So chapters 2 through 7 in our outline gives us the times of the Gentiles. And that phrase comes from the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 21. I think it's verse 24, if I remember right. The times of the Gentiles. Now if you know your Old Testament history, God brings Israel through Abraham to prominence as the priority nation of all nations. They fail, they are removed, they are exiled, they are essentially as a nation destroyed. Not annihilated, but destroyed. And what God is going to do is discipline them, and they will have to experience the times of the Gentiles where Gentile nations now become prominent. Now, we don't think about this because we are so used to kind of thinking in terms of Gentiles to begin with. But since 605, Gentiles have been prominent in terms of world history. Daniel's going to predict the future of Gentile nations. We have the failure of the wise man to interpret this dream. Let's get the setting there. So maybe read read uh, five real quickly. You got it there, Dave? And then skip to verse ten. Somebody have two seventeen ready. Okay, got it, Jim. And then someone else two twenty five. Okay, Jenny. And I'll have you read through that two thirty six. Somebody else two
1: thirty six. One, once. All right, honey.
0: Okay, verse two
1: five. Let's read that one. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, "This thing is gone from me. If you will." not make known to me the dream, but the interpretation thereof, you should be cut in pieces, and your houses should be made dominant.
0: Okay, there seemed to be some tension between the king <laughs> and these wise men. There might have been some corruption there, so he's kind of challenging them here to interpret this dream. Read verse 10 as well.
1: The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the genes matter. Therefore there is no king lord, or ruler, that asks such things to any magician or astrologer or shall be. Okay, there's
0: no one that can do this. What you're asking is very unreasonable. You know, you, this is ridiculous to ask such a thing. In general, what it, what they would do, these these magicians and members of the occult they would ask for the dream first, and then they'd come up with some vague interpretation. But the king is asking them for the dream. Can't do that. Nobody can do that. And they're accurate. Nobody can. Except there is somebody. Somebody read seven 2.17. Who's got that one?
1: And Daniel went to his house, and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. About that. Keep reading. Keep to, to
0: 21. Now... He's gonna be called upon to interpret, so what does he have to do? Daniel doesn't know, but Daniel's gonna receive revelation, so he actually worships.
1: So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this whisper, so that Daniel and his friends could not be destroyed the rest of the night from battle. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in night vision, Daniel blessed the God
0: of heaven. Daniel the power to him. changes the of the Okay, and you just keep on reading. He's just praising God for revealing to him. Now, this is shortly after they arrived, so this is only a couple of years or so. Gives you probably six oh three, the date that you have in verse one. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, depending on how you date that, probably about 603, somewhere 602, somewhere in that time frame. So he may still be a teenager, and God is already revealing things to him. And now he just praises God for that interpretation. Somebody read 20, who's got 25? Go ahead, Jenny, read it loudly.
1: It's very awkward, brought Daniel you know, the presence I have found the man among Excel from Who can make the
0: interpretation of the Keep reading to 28. the are, are you able to make them the dream which I have seen in this interpretation? Daniel answered the about the Okay, no one can declare it. In other words, this is no one knows the future, basically. Keep reading.
1: However, there is a God in heaven who made us And he has made us through what it will take place in the latter days. This is the great and the looms of
0: your mind. Okay, now re- skip to verse 31.
1: You, O king, were looking in a hole. There was a single great statue that statue was born. And an
0: extraordinary splendor was standing in front of you and his of your not. Okay, so he reveals the dream or reconstructs the dream, and then he's gonna move to interpret the dream. Uh, let's read who's got thirty six.
1: Okay, this is the dream. Keep reading. you will keep our
0: Okay, so God has given Nebuchadnezzar dominion, given him a kingdom, given him limited sovereignty within the sovereignty of God over all things. Keep reading. So Nebuchadnezzar is part of this dream that he had. He is the head of gold. Let's take a look at that. So first of all, we have the request to interpret. We have the worship of Revelation, presentation before the king, and then uh, we're reading the dream reconstructed. We read that one. Basically that's the dream. He sees this statue, if you will, and now we're going to look at the interpretation. First of all, Babylon, or Nebuchadnezzar, as king of Babylon, is going to be prominent. Now, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know for how long, or what the situation in the future will be, but the dream puts him as the world ruler of that day, prominent. And the Babylonian Empire, verse 38, you read that one, will run from 605 through 538. And Daniel's going to predict the coming of another empire. Now, these are world empires. So, world history describes these world empires. In fact, you'll find these things in your UNM world history book. Some of the other things that we talked about, you will not. So, times of Gentiles, first kingdom, and I'm going to put this on a timeline here, is Babylon. Keep reading, Connie.
1: Okay, the third, second, and
0: third kingdoms. First one, Babylon, and this is a historian's outline of the Babylonian Empire in that period of time when Babylon basically ruled the world, but... The vision reveals that uh, Babylon's going to come to an end. Remember, we've seen the passages where God raises up kingdoms and he removes them and raises up others. So we're going to have another kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, that Daniel predicts. And remember, Daniel is living before these events take place. But he also predicts, not only the uh, Medo-Persian empire, 39, that rules until 539 to 331, well beyond Daniel's lifetime. And on our little timeline here, we can put the Medo Persian Empire, the another world empire. And historically, the Medo Persian Empire occupied a greater geographical region than even the Babylonian Empire. So it extends beyond. Well, they had control over everything. But in terms of more, in other words, they had vassal states beyond the kingdom that sent tribute. So that's the Medo-Persian. And then there's another one, the Greek Empire. And you'll find that in every UNM or any college world history book. And these are things, obviously these are beyond Daniel's time frame. So Greece... We have the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian you know, Empire that ran from 539 to 331. We have the Greek Empire, also in verse 39, from 334 to 63. These are all B.C. And then read verse
1: 40.
0: Okay, and if you just keep on reading, he'll give a little bit more description on that kingdom. So we have the Greek Empire that ran all the way to almost the end of Old Testament period, and they were prominent. The Greeks obviously ruled the world. On our little timeline there, you have the Greek Empire, and there's the Greek Empire, and Alexander the Great extended the Greek Empire all the way to India, so quite extensive. And throughout that period of time, Hellenism, or Greek culture, was imposed upon all these peoples, including, notice, Israel, and that's why in the New Testament we have what are called Hellenistic Jews, who are basically Greek in culture, as well as Jews in ethnicity. Make sense? So they dominated the world until the Romans, and that's the fourth kingdom. So we have Rome as a fourth kingdom, and Rome ruled during the time of Christ. And You'll find that one in any world history as well. The Roman Empire, from 63 on, and really the end of the Roman Empire is kind of disputed. lasts about 500 years. It just kind of fades. Nobody really conquered it. And in reality, it's almost like the Roman Empire, in some ways, is still continuing. And in this prophecy, it speaks of something of a Roman allegiance or a Roman Empire, probably the remnants of the ancient Roman Empire or the geographical regions. There's going to be an alliance in the last days. And there's other Bible prophecies that speak of that. So on our... Timeline here, we have Rome, which was in power, and obviously the first century and the the uh, nation of Israel, Jewish people, Jesus Christ, were all under the Roman Empire. That was the political empire of the day. Now, it's going to speak of a revived Roman Empire later on, beyond the founding of the, the nation of Israel. There's at least a 2,000-year gap
1: between the destruction of the nation of Israel and the reestablishment in 1948. we talked about
0: that. This is world history. This is biblical world history. This is real world history. And there's the revived Roman Empire that will be a player at the end of the age. Now, that passage is going to predict some of that. Now, skip to the final kingdom. You want to read that one, Connie? Yeah, forty-four. The God of heaven shall set up a kingdom, and when is it going to end? It's not. Okay. So he's going to return. See the arrow there? He's going to return, and after a seven-year period, he's going to establish a kingdom. You finish that verse there. shall and And that's the plan of God. The ultimate plan of God is going to end, world history is going to end, with God dominating as an empire, as a kingdom, in the end. And Israel is going to be prominent in the land. The nations are going to be apart. We're going to see that in the Olivet Discourse. So we are going to have a final kingdom in verses 44 through 45 that will have no end and it will destroy all these other kingdoms. So here's our world history. This is real world history from eternity to eternity. Remember, you won't find the eternity part in your world history books. We have the kingdom of Israel, times of the Gentiles, after Israel is destroyed as a nation. Then we have a kingdom, a final kingdom. We're going to look at that in the Olivet Discourse. And there's lots of passages that speak of that. And then, you want to read 47 as well? This is Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging God is sovereign. He's Lord of Lords. He is sovereign. King of Kings. Keep reading. Okay, since you could reveal these secrets. All right. Okay, so that's the... Beginning of the times of the Gentiles, the dream of the statue, some of these other passages, you're familiar with them, you learn a lot of them in Sunday school, basically, as youth, as young people. Chapter 3, we won't look at everything in there, but let's start off, somebody read verse 1, just real quickly. Go ahead, Linda. the the learned the
1: height of which is...
0: So he builds, he didn't learn everything you should have learned. He builds this image, and he will call on everyone to worship this image. But that's not a good thing. And chapter 3 talks about the children of Israel, or these youths, refusing to bow down, and... They're cast into the fiery furnace. You know that story, 325. Who wants to read that one real quick? Jim, you got that one? 325.
1: He said, look, I see one and loose loose. about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth was the like the son of the
0: gods, or like a son of man in some translations. There's a fourth character in the fiery furnace, and you know the story. They come out. They're not even singed. They don't even have the odor of fire. God preserved them. And we looked at one of those passages when I was giving you kind of an explanation of God sovereignly working. They had entrusted themselves to a sovereign God. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. We read some of those passages last time, so we won't go back to them. God humbles him. And if you want to put these chapters on a timeline, this is kind of the broad... Daniel chronology that I'll come back to later, but I'm going to blow up this portion of it right here, just to give you where these these chapters lie. So we have chapter 1, 605, chapter 2, the dream shortly after, about 602, and the image sometime later, it's not dated, so we don't know for sure, but somewhere in there, obviously before Nebuchadnezzar dies. And we have chapter 4, probably shortly before he dies, and he probably dies shortly after that humbling, chapter 4. Now, so far, they're in order. But when we get further in, they're going to be out of order. Then we have chapter 5. We have the writing on the wall, which basically announces the doom of Babylon. We have a new king. This is no longer Nebuchadnezzar. He already died by this time. So this is close to the destruction of Babylon. Fall of Babylon, number five here. Uh, five thirty-nine is the date. Fall of Babylon. That five thirty-six date below it is where Israel is allowed to go back in. This is under the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus. And Isaiah had predicted Cyrus hundreds of years before. So chapter five the fall of Babylon, that is chapter 5. The writing on the wall is basically the end of the Babylonian Empire. And there's another dream there that Daniel interprets. Won't have time to look at it today. And then after that, we have the lion's den, another very familiar passage. The Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. By now, he's an old man. He's probably, I can't remember, 70 years old, perhaps. So he's experienced all of the events in the Babylonian Empire. And we have the vision of the four beasts, chapter 7. This parallels the vision that we looked at in chapter 2. It parallels it. He's going to talk about the same kingdoms, except they're pictured as beasts. The other looks at it from man's perspective. They're glorious. This great statue with a head of gold and mighty in its appearance. The vision of the beasts is from God's perspective. These are vicious, cruel, evil beasts. Same empires. So if you read them, it's going to deal with Babylon. It's going to deal with Medo-Persia. It's going to deal with Greece. It's going to deal with Rome. And it's going to also include a final kingdom. I'll let you read that one on your own. So that one, chapter 6, the lion's den, somewhere around 5, 36, somewhere in that time frame. But, out of order, the vision of the four beasts preceding, more than likely. I think we have a time frame on it. In the first year of Belshazzar, another Babylonian king, this is before the fall. So, we've looked at the times of the Gentiles, the next major division, chapters 8 to the end of the chapter. Now we have Gentile dominion over Israel. And the focus is going to be more relationship to Israel, these pagan kingdoms. We have a vision of the ram and the male goat in chapter 8. And basically the ram, I can't remember, I think it's one of them's Greece. So he's going to reiterate and give more details concerning uh, these kingdoms. But what's more important is the... Seventy weeks of chapter nine. And in the time that remains, let's take a look at it. Chapter nine. Someone read, beginning. Let's read the beginning of chapter nine. Somebody read the first two verses. who have got them. All right, go ahead, Jim.
1: In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the Okay, these are... This is a Medo-Persian king. Whose king over the kingdom of the
0: Caldeans. That's the Babylonian. So he's king over that kingdom. This is later. Deep reading. First year of his reign, I Daniel observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem. Amen. So he's aware that there's seventy years. We're coming to the end of the seventy years, and he has read Jeremiah, so he knows that God is going to do something now, and what he's going to do is pray. In fact, he's going to confess the sins of the nation, and he's basically going to pray that God basically accomplish his will as the ultimate sovereign. So in our little timeline here, we have the ram and the goats, probably after the vision of the beast, and then the 70 weeks is obviously after the fall of Babylon, so it's Kind of out of order here between visions of 5 and 6. But notice there's a 70 year temple desolation from 587, destruction
1: of the temple, to 516, 516, the restoration. This is after the children
0: of Israel return. And then there's a 70 year captivity 605 to 536. But I give you this just to show you the 70 weeks where they, where that vision lies. Let's take a look at these 70 weeks. Let's read 24. Now, after he prays, God is going to reveal through an angelic emissary of, of God, he's going to reveal a vision to Daniel. And let's take a look at that because it's very, very important. He's got verse 24. By the way, before you read that, this, he's predicted the rest of world History dealing with world empires. Now, specifically, he's going to give the rest of history relating to the nation of Israel. The rest of Israel's history is going to be summarized in these few verses. Read.
1: Years.
0: How many years? 70, years. 70 weeks. weeks. Uh, Linda's version translates it into... These are shabuas. The Hebrew word shabuah is a week of it can be a week of days, and in some contexts it refers to a week of days, which would be what? Seven days. Or yeah. Or it could be a week of years. And there's going to be seventy shabuas, seventy weeks. Uh, in this case, years. Israel has seventy years of history remaining from the time that Daniel is revealing this, or from a from a starting point that he's going to give. Okay, you want to read the rest of the verse there.
1: So.
0: Seventy weeks are summarized there of what's going to happen in that time frame. Let's read 25. So Israel has 70 shabuas, 490 years of history from a starting point. And he's going to give a starting point. 25, he's got it. So you
1: are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem... Okay, there's the starting point until Messiah the Prince.
0: There will be seven weeks, 62 weeks. Okay, can you add? Seven plus what? 62. 62 equals? Nine. 69. Very good, very good. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be an engineer and know these things, right? Okay, 69 weeks. Keep reading. It will be built again with
1: a plaza and low even in times of distress.
0: Now that's a tremendous prophecy. Remember, they are in exile, but he's predicting. What does he predict there? Rebuilt. Rebuilt. The city's going to be rebuilt. Okay, keep reading.
1: Then after the sixty-two weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And his end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations on What's the most important thing in that
0: latter part of the verse there? Within the 69 weeks, in fact, at the end of the 69 weeks, what's going to happen? Messiah is going to be cut off. So 69 weeks, 69 times 7, how many weeks? 483, is that what it is? Let's put it on a timeline here. Here's your Hebrew word, those of you that were wondering what it looks like. Shabuah, weeks, days, or years.
1: Connie?
0: Well, it says 62, but it assumes that you already added the 7. Yeah. It includes the 7. Right. He didn't say plus the 7. He assumes that you added it already. All right. Very good question. So 70 weeks decreed, so it's from the issuing of a decree to restore. This is the decree of Artaxerxes, and most scholars place the dating of that at 444 BC. Now, I didn't make the calculation, but several scholars have. Sir Robert Anderson was one of the prominent ones that made the calculation. If you know the number of years precisely, using prophetic years, which is 360 days, then uh, to the Messiah until Messiah the Prince, 33 AD, and Messiah is cut off. If you calculate the number in there, 69 times 7 times 360, you have 173,880 days are predicted here. Very precise. Seven weeks plus 62 weeks. Got that? 69. It actually falls on the day that Jesus Christ presented himself to the nation of Israel. We call that the triumphal entry in the Gospels. Or Palm Sunday. Sometimes referred to Palm Sunday. This is the first day of the week before his crucifixion. And then that week... Now, what's implied here is there's a gap. In that week... Messiah is Messiah, the Prince is cut off. Let's read the next verse. Somebody got twenty-six.
1: Then, after sixty-two weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince will do to him,
0: destroy the city, and its end will be cut off with blood. Even to the end, there will be war and What's going to happen there? Messiah cut off, or after he's cut off, desolations. Destruction, another destruction. So Messiah the Prince is cut off, and the city is going to be destroyed again. The city is going to be destroyed. Does anyone have a date for that one? 70 A.D. So Messiah the Prince, he's cut off, then the city is destroyed. Now it doesn't talk about an interim, but what is implied in there is there's an interim period of time from our perspective, looking back, And from the perspective of the New Testament, Jesus establishes a church, kind of as an afterthought, if you will, kind of as a parenthesis between Israel's history. Remember, 69 weeks have expired, and you engineers out there, how many weeks are left after 69? Only one! Alright. Yeah, that's pretty tough for you humanities guys. Somebody read verse 27 because it's going to describe the 70th week. If the first 69 were fulfilled precisely to the very day, what might you expect? The 70th. Probably to the very day. Who wants to read? 20? You got it, Dave?
1: You shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even to the consummation, and that determined shall be poured
0: about upon the desolate. Okay, I won't get into all the details there, but essentially he is describing the seventieth week. So if you hear Bible teachers speak of the seventieth week of Daniel, this is what they're referring to. This is the week of Israel's history that has never been fulfilled yet. Israel, according to Paul, they're experiencing a hardening of hearts. They are excluded so far. God is dealing with a new entity called the church. There's going to come a time when Israel is going to be prominent again, and it's going to have a seven-year component to it. That verse predicts something to take place right in the middle. The Olivet Discourse is going to give us the details... To Daniel's seventieth week, we're going to see the details of that, and Jesus refers to this passage, this very passage,
1: Jim. The is, uh, you have to take that verse twenty-seven is already a Yes, yes, and that's in that verse. oh, oh, lots of
0: problems. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll probably get into more detail when we get to the Olivet Discourse. Yeah, so verse twenty-seven, or seventieth week. So, 69 were completed. The week Christ was crucified. There's going to be a 70th week. But it's going to begin with a firm covenant with another prince. Another prince. New Testament makes clear who that prince is. And we're going to have a 70th week. And it's divided into two parts. And in fact, the book of Revelation is going to stress these two parts. We won't get too much in the book of Revelation, I'll give you another overview, but that 70th week is what Jesus is talking about in the Olivet Discourse. This is what the Jewish disciples would have understood, and I'm going to give you a lot of other passages when we get back. So that 70th week, Messiah returns, Revelation 19.11 tells us, he will establish a kingdom, and after that 70th week, that kingdom is established. That's that same kingdom that chapter 2 predicts, that fifth kingdom that destroys all others. And there's a lot of detail here in terms of Bible prophecy. It's also that fifth kingdom in chapter 7. Make sense? The Olivet Discourse is going to deal with the 70th week, and it's also going to tell us a little bit about that kingdom. So when we get back to it in a couple of weeks, that's the focus. This is why Daniel is very important. And by the way, the only prophecy that Jesus refers back to is the Daniel prophecy. And he specifically mentions Daniel.
1: Jim? Yeah. So does church age occur after the of in verse just six? Apparently. yep. Yeah. yeah, it's assumed. It's
0: a mystery, according to Paul. In other words, it's not revealed in the Old Testament. In other words, don't look for it in Daniel. It's something of a mystery. In fact, the disciples, in their age, they didn't envision a church age. It's not even until probably the middle of the book of Acts that they begin to put it together that there's going to be an interim period. If you read Acts chapter 3, Peter is still offering the kingdom. And had Israel repented, the Messiah may have returned in the first century and established the kingdom then. So this period, the interim period, is not revealed in the Old Testament. So I wouldn't look for it in Daniel or anywhere in Bible prophecy. It's a mystery. From the New Testament, we know, obviously, and from 2,000 years, we also know. So, uh, just the end of the age here. The 70th week, and I'm going to use this chart throughout the Olivet Discourse, is from a signing of a covenant, not the rapture, there may be a short period of time between the rapture and a signing of that covenant in
1: Daniel's prophecy and a return of Israel's
0: Messiah. And that period of time has a couple of purposes. We'll talk about that when we get back to the, all of that discourse. The main purpose is to bring Israel to faith. The main purpose is to bring the nation of Israel to faith. They're in the land now politically, physically. But they're not in the land in faith. It awaits this period of time that Jesus calls tribulation. And it's a terrible period of time. We'll see the details of that. Okay, so we have 69 weeks, starting 444 until Messiah is cut off, 33 AD. And then we have a 70th week and that's followed by the return. The arrow represents the return of Messiah, so there's seven years in there. And in chapters 10 through 12, we have final prophecies mainly dealing with Israel. A lot more detail. In fact, there's some very precise prophecies that actually took place. And probably a prophecy so specific that it refers to an individual in the intertestamental period, Antiochus Epiphanes, who is kind of a prototype of Antichrist, and a lot of detail on Antichrist and way in the future as well.
1: So those prophecies are probably after all of the prophecies, probably the last set of prophecies
0: there. Closing plot, Scripture is inerrant, no mistakes, no errors, and can be trusted for all that it says, and we can trust it personally somebody close for us? Connie? you you you
1: it was restoration of the that so it is um, time also that to be a jury but uh, I'm not sure what Bob's so he's probably a great person or a probably, uh, would walk to the friend with us uh, choose to the with some that kind of thing. Amen.